0: Wonderful. Glad that you're here. Hey, I want to do a little church business and and just let you know some of the things that have been going on around this place. Okay, last weekend, we had a fun weekend. 55 college students took off uh, to uh, Woodland Christian Camp so they could enjoy some time together, grow in their walk with Christ. Hey, stand up if you were on that trip, just so we know who you are. Anybody? Okay. All right. Yeah, a bunch of them here spread out across the room. Here's the thing. You guys can have a seat. Here's the thing, we got word Friday that they were in our bus, and they were about an hour and a half away, and they were stranded on the side of the road, okay? They had blown a tire, there is no spare in that bus, everybody was closed, and we didn't have any options to take care of things, and John Millage Academy stepped up and sent a bus after our group, and we're grateful for that. (laughs) Let me tell you what happened this weekend, okay? Because this is gonna be a theme throughout the next few weeks, I'm afraid. But our high school students are off on a trip right now. They're at Deeper Life at North Georgia Christian Camp. And, uh, and so Joey, he showed up to, to gather all these teens together. And when he got to the student building, we found water squirting out from underneath the sink, okay? And uh, we probably pumped 100 plus gallons out of the student building. And uh, man, just absolutely did some damage to our building. We're gonna have to rip out the kitchen. We're gonna have to do some other things. Surf Pro has showed up and they have been incredible working with us and helping out with those things. Here's why I tell you, that though, okay? I let you know all those things because in my experience, after years and years and years of working in ministry, it's when we start to get distracted by things like that that we see evidence that God is showing up and getting ready to do something big, okay? And I fully believe that. I believe that when Satan is trying to take our eyes off the big picture, um, that's the moment we need to hit our knees and say, Jesus Christ, show up, we're focused on you, and we're gonna see you work in a powerful way. So before we begin today, let's just pray uh, that God moves in a big and powerful way. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you that we can come together like this and worship you, but God, we know that the church is so much bigger than just our Sunday morning experience. We know that you're working, God, on, in the Sunday mornings, but in all the other things that are happening too. God, we pray that you be with our, coll- our high school students right now, we pray that you be with our college students as they're learning and growing. God, all the different things that are going on, but God, we just want you to know we are focused on you in this moment. And if you're ready to work, if you're ready to move, if you're ready to use us, then we volunteer. We won't get distracted, we won't turn to the left or right. God, you have our attention, and we're excited to be a part of what you're gonna do next. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, one of the things that's happening now is we're jumping into a brand new sermon series. Okay? This, this series is called Playlist, and throughout this series, we're gonna be exploring the book of Psalms. Okay, now the idea behind this series is just simply the fact that throughout all of history, Okay, the book of Psalms, these written prayers have served as a songbook or, or a playlist for followers of God throughout all of history. See, if you were to go back to ancient Israel, okay, if they had speakers or if they had AirPods, the book of Psalms is what would have been playing through them. Okay, The early Christians after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, they would, they would cling to these Psalms, these prayers as things that helped them to pray and, and to sing out to God. In medieval times, this was the most familiar part of the Bible for most Christians. See, in the Reformation, the Psalms played a major role. That's the establishment of Protestant churches just like ours. And to this day, if somebody were to walk up and hand you a copy of the New Testament, more than likely, it would have the book of Psalms included in it as a bonus or a tag along because it's so important, so vital, and we value it so highly. You see, theologians and, and religious leaders throughout history, they've, they've, they've kind of referred to the book of Psalms as, as kind of like a Bible within the Bible, because in this 150-chapter book, it, it covers all the major themes of Scripture from cover to cover. But in addition to that, listen, every season of life and challenge we face is represented right here in this one book. It anticipates and it, it trains us for every possible spiritual, social, and emotional condition that we face. And so our goal between now and Christmas is, is we're not just going to study the Psalms. We're not just going to read through some of them, but man, we are going to be immersed in them. And we are going to be transformed by them so that we can live in a way that brings glory and honor to Jesus and brings us closer to him than we've ever been before. All right, we're not gonna go through all 150 of them, okay? I wish we could, but we only have seven weeks, okay? But we are gonna start with the very first one because it's gonna set the stage for all the rest of them. Let's read through it together. Psalm 1, it says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night Let's unpack this together. How many of you like to be happy, okay? John just talked about it, okay? Most of you like to be happy. Some of you aren't really engaging with me. That's okay. You're sad about football. I understand, okay? But we all like to be happy, don't we? It's it's just a natural part of who we are. But the truth is, some of us find it easier to obtain and maintain happiness than other people do. One of my favorite movies that's come out over the past 10 years is is this movie called Inside Out, okay? And I don't know if you've seen this movie, but so incredibly powerful. In this movie, the main character, her name is Riley, and, and she has all five of these emotions, disgust, fear, joy, sadness, and anger, and they're all speaking into everything she experiences in this life. But from the very beginning of the movie, we find out that joy sits in the driver's seat of her mind. Like that's the primary emotion that speaks into the circumstances that she faces. And we find out later in the movie that everybody is driven by a different emotion. The dad is is driven by anger. The mom is driven by sadness, stereotypes, am I right? Everybody in the movie has all of the emotions, but one of them is the primary driver of each individual person's personality. Let me tell you something, although reality is a little bit more complex than that, This is actually rooted in fact. You see, some people are naturally more perky and optimistic. Happiness and joy, it's just a more natural driving force in their life. Other people are are more pessimistic or, or realistic, if you ask us, or them, ask them, okay? We all have a genetic baseline or a biological propensity for happiness. And according to modern scientific research, Okay, our genetics make up about 50% of our happiness. Okay, we're gonna throw that up here, 50% of our happiness. A second variable to our happiness is our circumstances, which accounts for approximately 10% of the happiness that we feel and experience. You see, most of us live like this is significantly a higher percentage than it really is. You see, we spend a lot of time and energy trying to shift our circumstances so that we can experience more happiness. We say things like, if I could just get a better title or if I could, if I could just make a little bit more money, if I could just get a bigger house, if I could just drive a faster car, if I could just obtain this skill or accomplish that goal, if, if I could just get married or, or if I could just get my degree or even get out of this class, then we might be 10% more happier. more happy. It feels a little anticlimactic when you hear it out loud, doesn't it? So what accounts for the other 40%? Well, the answer, according to modern scientific research, is our choices. Choices like diet, choices like rest, choices like what we spend our time on account for 40% of the happiness in our lives. Here's the bottom line, okay? We cannot control our genetics, okay? We just can't do anything about that. Number two, okay, we only have a limited amount of influence on our circumstances. So the best strategy we have to impact our happiness is by being strategic about the choices that we make. That's exactly what Psalm 1 teaches. Isn't it nice when modern science finally catches up with what the Bible has been teaching for thousands and thousands of years? You see, one of the most important and timeless pieces of literature in all of human history, it begins with these words, blessed is the one, or happy is the person who embraces the choices in their life as an opportunity to not only alter their mood, but transform their lives and experience even more of God's presence with them. See, it goes on to say that that person who makes wise choices is like a tree planted by streams of water. What that means is being planted suggests that this isn't an accident, okay? This is a carefully chosen, purposeful way of living that paves the way to an ever-flowing, never-failing supply of God's nourishment and blessing. Listen, if you're taking notes, write this down. Our sermon in a sentence. The road to happiness is paved with wise choices, Today, we're going to discover and unpack three wise choices that, that uh, Psalm chapter one tells us that we can embrace so that we can experience more of God's blessing in our life. First one is this, choice one, I will be intentional about the company I keep. You see, our relationships account for a huge portion of our happiness. When we build relationships with the right people, our happiness goes up. But when we build relationships with the wrong people, our happiness goes down. Go back to verse one. This is what it says. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. Listen, the phrasing here is really important. Okay, He doesn't say blessed is the one who spends time with the right people because what that would suggest is that someone might spend time with the right people and then split their time with the wrong people. He doesn't say that. He phrases it this way so that he can suggest that the blessed person completely, totally and passionately avoids the influence of people that do not help them become better versions of themselves. You see, the point of this verse for you and I is that we've got to guard our hearts from the influence of people who are living by a different set of standards and values than we live by. Why? Because as much as we hate to admit it, when we surround ourselves with people that live by a different set of values, it can and will impact the way we live our lives. You see, sin and foolishness, it's contagious and it's progressive. You see, he says right here, he says, first, the person may walk and step with the wicked. In other words, they're just exposed to it. They're just in the presence of it. They're not influenced by it. It's just there. But he says, then they stand in the way that sinners take. You see, if they're surrounded by, by other things, other values, other ways of living, that all of a sudden it alters their course of life. They linger and they hang around and they, they fill themselves up with it. But next, they sit down in the company of mockers. You see, they alter the entire course of their life because they become calloused and comfortable. They become part of the group that has completely abandoned God's plan for their life. You see, sin and foolishness, it's contagious and it is progressive. Let me show you what this looks like. Hey, Cole, come on up here. I didn't tell you I was gonna do this. So, but come on up here. You're gonna be my, my object illustration, okay? You look like you work out, right? Okay, do you think, do you think that you're stronger than me? Be honest. No. Okay, <laughs> come on, man. Like, come, I'll, I'll flex, okay? Yeah. All right. I, I'll tell you, I did this in the last service, little middle school girl and, and it went great, so you'll be fine, okay? So, so what we're gonna do is Cole's, Cole looks like he works out. Okay? He's a little bit stronger than me, okay? So I'm gonna put you up in the chair, okay? If you'll stand up there in the chair. I almost died, stand up, okay? Almost die. died, yeah, because I almost died in the last service. So we're gonna let you die this time, okay? I got a sermon to preach, so we gotta get through this. So I'm, I'm not quite as strong, so I'm gonna stand on the ground. And what we're gonna do is we're gonna lock arms, okay? And him being stronger than me, he's gonna pull me up into the chair with him, okay? That's what he's gonna try and accomplish. And me, being the weaker person on stage, okay, I'm going to pull and see if I can get him down off the chair, okay? Does that sound good? Like, obviously, this is going to work. It's going to be great, okay? All right, on the count of three, okay? Let me get my footing, okay? One, two, three. There we go. That worked. Thank you very much. You can go have a seat. Y'all give him a hand. He tried, okay? Okay. He pulled, he did everything he could because he wanted me to come up into the chair with him. But the problem is, it's so much easier to pull somebody down than it is to pull them up. And in the relationships that we have with one another, it works the exact same way. See, if we surround ourselves with people that are living by a different set of standards, that doesn't make them bad, but it means that they're gonna have a much easier time pulling us down to their level than it is for us to pull them up to ours listen, this doesn't mean that we can't work with or love people who live by a different set of standards. Okay, Jesus says in the Great Commission, it's our job to take the good news of his death, burial, and resurrection to all people. But what it does mean is that you and I, as followers of Christ, we've got to guard our hearts by limiting the influence of people who do not share our values and elevating the influence of people that will help us become the best version of ourselves. Listen, this is so important that we build our entire church strategy around it. If you've got a baby and they're over in the nursery right now, I want you to know they're not over there with a babysitter because we don't have babysitters. Okay, they're over there with adults that love them and care about them. And before they can even take physical steps, those adults are speaking life into them and helping them take spiritual steps. They're pulling them up and helping them experience more of Jesus. Listen, beyond that, your older children, they're being introduced to the concept of circles. Okay, with the help of adults, they're being placed in a position where they can study and apply God's word with their peers because we know that's gonna set them up for success in life. When it comes to student ministry and college ministry, we build all of our programming and all of our events to promote authentic relationships because we know that students will drown in the world without it. And listen, we have boldly proclaimed over and over from this stage, adults, we cannot help you experience all that God has in store for you until you take a step of faith into relational community. When you get plugged into a circle of others that are following Jesus, then it's gonna help you become the best version of yourself. Happiness comes from being intentional about the company we keep. That's the first choice that Psalm 1 challenges us to make. Here's the second one. Choice two. I will focus on God's word. How many times do we face decisions, big or small, and we immediately cry out to God for help? It's like we just instinctively know that God has a plan that's worth following. Okay, but the problem is we often fall short of positioning ourselves to hear, know, and experience God's plan because we don't prioritize time in God's word. Look at verse two. It says, blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. Let me tell you something, the most reliable guide we have to God's will is God's word. That's why we're blessed when when we delight in it. We're blessed when we meditate on it. We're blessed when we welcome it, when we think about it, when we prioritize it, when we build our lives on it. Let me tell you one of the unique ways that I get to teach this. When I do premarital counseling with a couple, there usually comes a point where where we spend time talking about cohabitation and and sex before marriage. It's a very unique place that I get to teach this principle. Biblically speaking, okay, you cannot merge the total gift of sex with the partial commitment of cohabitation, okay? You can't do it, and rarely will I ever find anybody who sits across from me and wants to argue that from a biblical perspective. Okay, everybody knows that's God's standard. But practically, it just makes sense, right? I mean, practically, cohabitation allows couples to, to save up some money before the wedding. Okay, practically, cohabitation allows couples to I don't know, assess compatibility. It, it allows them to practice marriage so that they can determine if this is really what both parties want. Practically speaking, this just makes sense. Practically speaking, this should increase the likelihood that the marriage is successful, but it doesn't. See, not only do cohabitating adults report much lower levels of relational stability than married adults, but cohabitating couples who marry are about 33% more likely to get divorced than couples who did not live together before marriage. Now, I'm not saying that to shame you. And I'm not saying that your marriage is doomed to fail if I just described you. But what I am saying is this, when there's a tension between God's plan and what God's word says and what we think makes sense, and God's plan works every single time. Listen, as God's people who want to experience all that God has in store for us in all areas of life, We gotta make spending time with the instruction manual a priority in our life. We've gotta embrace the things that God teaches from it so that we can experience what he has in store for us. A few verses on Sunday morning can nudge us towards God's plan. But here's the thing, the daily discipline of reading God's word can build our lives around it. Let me give you a tool that'll help you with this. Go pick up this book called The Songs of Jesus by Timothy Keller, okay? I ordered this because I knew we were gonna spend some time in the book of Psalms, and what this does is every single day on one page, it works through a psalm. And I'm telling you, it could take five minutes if you want it to, it could take 30 minutes if you want it to, but if you'll prioritize time in God's word using tools like this, man, it'll transform your life, it'll bring more of God's blessing in your life, and it'll teach you how to walk in a way that produces happiness. Here's the last one. Third choice we can make, we wanna experience more of God's blessing in our life. I will make serving others a priority. You see, self-absorbed pursuits can only take us so far in life. But when we pour our lives out to help others, it will make us whole. Look at what it says in verse three. It says, that person, okay, the blessed person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither whatever They do prospers. Listen, a blessed person yields fruit. They produce something that's worth sharing with others. You see, they see their their time, their their resources, their energy as precious commodities, fruit that they can use to make this world a better place. You see, fruitful service in this passage, it's, it's the pathway to and the product of a blessed life. What that means is we don't have to climb the corporate ladder to experience more of God's presence in our life. We don't have to win an Olympic medal so that we can feel significant, feel like we have meaning and value in our lives. We just have to live our lives with the goal of helping others, and it's going to produce something inside of us that we cannot get in any other way. Listen, I was in a meeting this week, and we were talking about the live nativity. Okay, we were sharing some details, just trying to get this thing lined up. And um, the Live Nativity is a big two-day event that we have every single year. And this year, we started to line up what all the serving positions and all the roles were gonna be because we're actually gonna launch that next week. You're gonna hear more about it. And we realized that it takes over 256 volunteers to make the Live Nativity happen. Isn't that amazing? 256 volunteers. So that got me thinking, how many volunteers does it take to make our church work? Like in a a week-to-week basis, how many people volunteer their time so that this place can continue to do what we do? I stopped counting at 300. 300 people. In order to do what we do here at the church, it takes a lot of people to volunteer their time, energy, and resources. But can I tell you something? Serving is not so much something we want from you. Serving is something we want for you. You see, we create these opportunities for you to get involved and serve. We create these opportunities so everybody in the church can experience the joy of helping others because we believe that that can fill us up and satisfy us in a way that nothing else can. You see, we know from passages like Psalm chapter one, but also from personal experience that there's something supernatural that happens when we surrender to God in this area of our lives and begin to make others the priority. Here's my prescription for all of you. If you're feeling down today, you're just beat up and you're tired, go help somebody else. And I promise you, God will show up in that. If you're feeling hopeless, if you're feeling lonely, if you just don't know what to do with your life, go help somebody else. And I promise you, God will show up in that and he'll speak to you. If you want to feel more of God's presence in your life, if you want to feel like he's leading you and guiding you to a path of significance then go out and serve somebody and God will show up in that. We will never experience all that God has in store for us until we begin pouring out and doing for others. Listen, the road to happiness is paved with wise choices. We're gonna be intentional about the company we keep. We're gonna make God's word our priority and we're gonna make serving others a priority. Listen, we're gonna open up the altars here in just a minute after I pray. I want you to know we've got some people in this room that are probably struggling with, with just how to live life on purpose so they can experience all that God has in store for them. See, we just finished a sermon series on mental health and I told you guys that we were moving on um, from the series, but not from the idea of mental health because this is gonna invade all the sermons that we preach from here on out. Maybe you're struggling today. Maybe you're hurting. Maybe you're broken. Maybe you need to experience something more. And we want you to come up here and just Pray. Spend some time asking God, what is it that you want me to do? Convict me so that I can do the things that you want me to do. Maybe you're in another position where you say, you know what, I've experienced all this that we're talking about. I'm spending time building relationships with others. I'm spending time serving others. I'm spending time in God's word. Maybe you just wanna sing out a praise to Jesus and say, thank you for showing up in my life and making me proof and evidence of all the things that Psalm 1 teaches. Listen, maybe you've got something heavy going on in your life right now. Maybe you're a Tennessee fan. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe Alabama fan, Clemson fan. We got a lot of hurting sports fans right now. Listen, we just want you to know we're here. The altars are gonna be open. You're welcome to come up during the song and pray. We're gonna have people available at both sides of the front of the room right here. Go talk to them so that they can pray over you. Listen, we just want you to know that we care about you, we love you, and we believe that God has a purpose and a plan for your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we know that you're working and we know that you want us to experience life to the fullest, God. We know that you want us to be alive in you. But God, as we're gonna sing those words in just a minute, God, we know that we can't ask to experience your power and your blessing and your presence in our life if we're not willing to be obedient to the things that you want us to do. So God, right here, right now in this place, I pray that you would convict us of any area of our life where we're living outside of your will for us. God, if we've gotten comfortable and calloused and we've started to sit down in a place that is bad for us, God, I pray that you would challenge us to get up and get out of that and experience the things that you have in store for us. God, surround us with your presence. Let us know that it is better to be at the center of your plan for our lives than it is to be anywhere else. Move in this place. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to this message. You can keep up with what's happening at Northridge on your mobile device through our Northridge Christian app. If you have any questions about Northridge, you can contact us at info@northridge.org.